Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I'm your host, John Robb, joined here by my ever-so-wonderful, fabulous co-host, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how are you doing tonight? Having a great evening. Hope you are as well. Yeah, trying to. Uh, We're actually taping this on June the 2nd, uh, so whenever we have it out, and the riots are going on, everything is going on, so if any of that gets into the interview, just to put a little bit of it in context, uh, that's what's going on right now, and I live in Los Angeles, so... It's uh, weird to kind of be in the epicenter of everything that's kind of going on. And you, of course, in Seattle, and it's going on where you are, too. Probably in almost every city where everybody listens to us is going on someplace. So weird, man, with a pandemic. I mean, what's going on? It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, what's next? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I heard, that mo- I heard that monkeys stole uh, coronavirus from a lab in India. And I remember yeah. that being the first movie of the uh, Planet of the Apes remake, so <clears throat> nice. I think that's next. <laughs> hey, I wouldn't doubt it for a second. want to remind everybody, too, that all of our shows are brought to you by Suspense Magazine, so visit suspensemagazine.com and Kensington Books. So visit kensingtonbooks.com for more information on their stuff. We have a great guest for you guys today. We are going to be speaking here with author Drew Murray. He is going to be talking about his latest book called Broken Genius, which is actually out the day that we're doing this interview. So that's going to be cool. So, Jeff, you ready to go? I'm excited to talk to Drew. Okay. Well, Drew, hey, we want to thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing tonight? I'm great. Thanks for having me here. Awesome. Yes. And it's great that this is launch day for you. So you've kind of had a little bit of a hectic day already going on with the launch of your book, Broken Genius. So how's that been for you? It, uh, it's been great. It's, uh, it's kind of a weird day, though, like you say, you know, the, with the context of what's going on in the world. But um, I watched everything go live at midnight, and, you know, because this is my first book. You're really excited about it. Um, and uh, it's been really exciting just to watch everything come live, and it's actually happening, and it's actually real now. Um, and then, you know, doing interviews today. And it's been a really long and exciting and hectic day. Cool. Well, you know what? Why don't you tell us what you got going on in, in, uh, in Broken Genius? Uh, Broken Genius is uh, a techno thriller. It is about a former Silicon Valley tech CEO, uh, genius prodigy turned FBI agent after something terrible happens in his life, blows up his life, uh, and he needs to make amends for that. And then um, he is called into the scene of a murder at a Comic-Con because there's radiation there that matches the signature of a piece of powerful technology his company was trying to buy when his life blew up and went to hell. So I want to I want to get into more about Will Parker. Um, yeah, talk to him. Talk to me about him as a character because you know he's not a superhero, obviously, um, and he starts in a very bad place. So, well, talk to me more about him. Definitely, um, I got the idea. Of for him based on a, a short story competition that uh, was put, uh, the theme of the competition was murder at the beach. Uh, and I figured everybody's going to write about, you know, resort beaches and tropical beaches and all like nice stuff like that. Uh, and I said, well, what other kind of beaches could I write about? And I just come back from a trip to Silicon Valley. I was out visiting a friend in San Jose for a while. Uh, and I'd had a chance to make the pilgrimage to Apple headquarters see, you know, all the big tech companies that are out there, go drinking with a bunch of people from the tech companies, kind of get a feel for what life is like in Silicon Valley. But there's also gorgeous beaches in Northern California. Um, and I'd driven down the Pacific Coast Highway, and I remembered those, and I'm like, yeah, that's, let's, let's think about that beach. And 
who would be there on that beach and Silicon Valley is nearby. And I'm like, what if we had like a really brilliant kind of guy who comes from the tech world, but now he's a detective. And by the time I figured out, you know, how that would happen, how you would leave the plush and exciting world of Silicon Valley, you know, with your all you can eat five star Michelin buffets and all of that um, excitement. And how do you do that, leave that and go and be in law enforcement of some variety? And by the time I worked that out, I realized that the story just wasn't going to fit in a short story, that I needed the space of a novel to really explore what this character was going to be all, be all about. Um, and so he's been described by um, other reviewers that have read the book, and I love this phrase, uh, as a lovable a-hole. And he is. He's brilliant, um, but he's, he's got these character flaws. Like he's so oblivious uh, to so many things that are going on around him. Uh, and he's so consumed with patting himself on the back. Um, it's kind of, it would be kind of obnoxious if that's all he were about. But, you know, he's got a really lovable heart. He always wants to try and do the right thing. Um, he, he was in tech to change the world and, and, you know, change the way people communicated and do these positive and, you know, really ambitious, uh, idealistic things. And so he brings that with him when he goes into the world of law enforcement in that he wants to help people, he wants to solve cases, he wants to do the right thing, he wants to make amends for the mistakes that he made in his past. So, you know, there's those two aspects to the character that you get to explore in the story of Broken Genius. Interesting. Cool. So, so, so you went right after the character first before you even decided really how he's going to kind of fit into any kind of plot. Yes. Yeah, no, the character came first. It was, a, it was really quite unusual. Mm-hmm. Now, also, tell a little bit, you know, tell a little about, uh, you know, like Dana Lopez and some of the other little secondary characters that kind of round out the entire story. How were, how was the process, you know, in that uh, and their creation? So the secondary characters, I wanted to be foils for Will. They needed to... Um, complement or contrast against his character in some way. So when you, when you look at Dana Lopez, she is a smart, competent, tough, um, uh, just really assertive uh, individual. So she can meet Will in that sort of confidence level, uh, but she's more competent and she's, you know, less of the marketing material that Will likes to, you know, talk, the big talk that he likes to talk. Um, so she contrasts with him that way, and she's a great way for uh, him to also illustrate some of the technology in the book, which was one of the big challenges, trying to balance out um, the level of technical detail so that technical people read it and say, wow, that sounds right, um, but not so much technical that people who aren't technical people read it and say, I, I don't get it, and put the book down. So Dana is sort of the every man uh, when it comes to the technology aspect, so he's explaining the technology to her, He's helping her understand what the significance is of the technology. So she plays that really important role with Will. And then Will's a technical guy. I wanted to be a technical thriller. But you know what? Watching people do technical stuff generally isn't all that exciting. I was in IT for 20 years. I worked in corporate IT environments, did projects, software development, infrastructure, hardware. Um, And most of the time, IT work, high-tech work, is a bunch of people sitting around at a computer. That's not really exciting. Will needed to do more than that. But I still needed to have somebody at the computer, and that's where the character of Bradley White came from. He's the guy that gets to be at the computer, do that analytical work. 
sort of off screen, off page, so that Will can continue to do more dynamic and interesting things, but we still get that analytical um, tech work done, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you're saying you don't have to climb the side of a building to break into a uh, server room, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> okay, exactly. cool, okay. Just, just <laughs> um, um, how, So here, here's the question I have for you regarding the tech you're writing about. Um, it's very easy to get lost in the tech, as you were mentioning. How did you balance getting essentially the technology you had to get across while at the same time for people who completely are so clueless they don't even know what a mouse is to make them understand what was going on? That's a good question. And it was a bit of a trial and error process in the beginning when I wrote the earliest drafts of the book. Um, I, I had wanted to, as you know, a lot of authors do, you do all this great research, you have all this great information, and you want to share it. And you're like, oh, but this bit of information was really interesting, and that bit of information was interesting. But not everything you research has to go in the book. And when we looked at what this technology is, when I looked at what this technology is, what was more important to me in terms of the story wasn't the, the how the technology worked. I mean, how the technology worked is important, but the really the minutia and the details, the tech details weren't as important as what the technology could do. And that's true for all technology. It's not important to you so much exactly how which circuit talks to what circuit inside your cell phone. You just want to know that you can use your, your smartphone to surf the Internet or send emails or what you do with it. So I shifted the focus on the technology a bit more to what this technology could do, what this powerful just-around-the-corner technology would enable. And then that brought in the cast of people who would want that technology and what terrible things they'd want to do with it, uh, if it if that technology were to exist. Um, and then I, that gave me a chance to start thinking through who are the villains in the book? Who are, who are the people that Will is going to be competing against to get their hands on the technology? So it's really important that he gets the technology first. And as it turns out, when he goes to this Comic-Con, the person that's dead was auctioning the technology off on the dark web. And he'd set this Comic-Con location as a place he was going to hand it off. So that made – it was a very bad decision because then all these people were here physically in this city – um, and one of them found out who he was and killed him. So, you know, who that is and where the technology is now, these are the things that Will has to figure out when he gets there. Cool. Cool. So have yeah. you guys I, – I, we've all been to Comic-Cons, right? Those things are crazy, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Understatement. Yeah. Have, you, have, you, yeah. Now, have any of you guys been to San Diego? I have not. Twice. Oh, oh. lucky you. No, I've not been to San Diego. I have not been to San Diego either. I've been to WonderCon. I went to a New York Comic Con and one in Chicago, the Midwestern, I think it was called, or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to go to the of... one in Seattle, and I want to go to the Emerald City one. I heard that's good, too. It's a very nice one. It, uh, I was actually going to moderate a panel there this year before it got yeah. canceled. I said, the only thing about San Diego, I think it's just too much now. I think it's just way too much. It, it, too it's many people, too intense. Yeah. Mm, mm. And they're I mean, actually limited in size at, at San Diego. The, the Fan Expo in Toronto actually has a larger attendance. 
Um, but San Diego is still it's it is the Comic Con of Comic Con. Yeah. I mean, that's like the world, that's like the world wide where it's like San Diego. And it's the, I mean, let's face it, I live in Los Angeles. Our weather ain't too bad, and San Diego is better than that. So, I mean, think about that. You're in L.A. You should have been, you should have been able to get down to San Diego by now. Oh, I've been to San Diego several times, but I can't, I haven't moved there. I'm not moving to San Diego. So, no, go no I know. Well, I've been, and, and I've lived in Los Angeles now 15 years. And I've not gone to San Diego Comic Con. It's just, it's just too much. It just, it's, it, you know, we. I mean, I would probably take the train down, so I wouldn't have to drive and have to take a car, and, you know, that was, and you know, but it's just expensive, and I just, uh, I just can't be around that many people. I don't like that many people. That's a lot. A movie theater is tough for me. Oh, I mean, Dodger Stadium. I'm like, oh man, thank God we're all here to watch a baseball game. I mean, because, but yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, oh, that's just, funny. but yeah. So you and you were in IT for twenty years. Mm-hmm. All right. So you gotta yeah. have like so you gotta have like a cool story. I mean, is there like some cool freaking programs out there? You know, you don't have to name them that you know that can do stuff that just stuff that would just be like there's some stuff that would scare the bejesus out of you or like viruses that you've detected. There's you know like what's like some cool story. Well, I, I, I worked for financial institutions, so it wasn't that, there wasn't like that kind of really, really sexy stuff. But, was, but what was really shocking about working in financial institutions is how much information those institutions have about you um, and how they store that information and how they use that information, especially like an insurance context if you're going for a life insurance policy. They calculate, they've got computer programs that calculate based on all these, you know, if you've ever applied for life insurance, you ask, answer all these questions, and it puts it into this computer, and there's this huge algorithm, um, and it, it puts out a prediction down to the month of how long you're going to live. Just think about that for a second. You, you, all this information Wait, are, you, computer, are you kidding me? And it, no, I'm, I'm not kidding at all. I'm totally serious. There, it puts out a prediction of exactly how long you're going to live. And that's how they base what they're going to charge you for your policy. Right, for the premiums. That's right, because then they can assess how much risk, like what's the probability that basically you're going to die during that time frame, during the term of the policy. And then they that know exactly what to set the premium up. up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I didn't apply for life insurance until after I left the company because I didn't want to ever know what number that thing spit out for me. <laughs> oh, my that goodness. That is F'd. Uh, <laughs> so, so, that's, so I guess that comes down to the question: Would you want it now? Oh, you know what? I don't think I do. I don't think I want to know. I, Jeff? I prefer to be blissfully ignorant. Yeah, Jeff. I um I would agree. I do not want to know, especially because I feel like if I did know and I made it past that date, somebody would come to my house and say, "You're past due." <laughs> Oh shit! No, dude, Somebody you're a librarian. Collect. It would be overdue. Exactly. <laughs> you're overdue. Exactly. Bam. Uh, um, no, that's unanimous. I wouldn't want to know. I wouldn't want to know because I think really? it would take the. I think it would take the excitement out of life. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you, because you, I think I think the great part of I think the great part about life is not knowing what's coming the next second. But if you know when your end is, then I think the excitement of life is gone. 
And I think you start the getting history of it for sure. I, th- I think, and then I think you start getting scared when it starts getting closer because you know. Right, but it's still just it's it's a it's not like it's set in stone. It's a prediction. It's an average, yeah. right? So right, but, but yeah, you start you, thinking I, about I it, be, and you start getting really really scared. Oh, every time I had a cough, I'd be like, "This is it. This is this is the end." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. I got a headache today. That's it. You know, make sure my will is up to date. If you were near that date, right? Like you, you yeah. totally be panicked and paranoid about that. Well, I'm saying, well, what if it wasn't a prediction? What if it was a hard end date? Like it says, no, you will die this day. <laughs> Would you That's actually want to know the door. date of your death? Uh, if if you knew for real, for real, like dead certain. Mm-hmm. See what I did there? Dead certain. No, I no, still no. No, I definitely not. Even more no, do I not. Okay, here's another one. Would you want to know in the manner of which you die? Then you wouldn't have to do it. Because if I was... Now, you're, I now, now you're getting the paradox. No. I, I, what do you mean you wouldn't do it? What, what if somebody says you die in a car crash? What are you going to do, never get in a car? Yeah. <laughs> It would be impossible. You'd have to get – because they could say car crash, but that could mean that you're just walking down the street and a car crashes into you. No, in my day, I would stay home and uh, just uh, not get out of bed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Unless the car yeah, and then maybe the a car crashed into your house and it exploded and caught on fire. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love uh, Drew, I have a question for you. So, so I'm just saying, no, but think about it. Come on, that's just a fun thing to think. I mean, so Jeff, would you want to know in the manner of which you die? No. I don't think I would either. Because if they say virus, then I'm going to really be upset. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I drew a question for you, unrelated to all this. Uh, what is the publishing story? How did I get how, here? How, you know what? Yes, how did you get here? I it, I did all these extra things. Like I I went to Thriller Fest. Dude, I thought I'm just gonna hold on real quick. I thought you were gonna say you walked because you're not driving anymore. I thought that's what I thought. You were say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. Uh, so you know, I, it's funny because I did all these things. I I'm, I have a business degree, so I'm like, okay, you know, here's the process of how you're supposed to pursue traditional publishing or you pursue uh, self-publishing. I'm going this route. Um, but you know, you're, you're any business person is like you know, it's all about relationships, it's about contacts, it's about gaming a system. Well, you can't game the system. But I started going to conferences like Thriller Fest, which were great. They were super educational. They made me a better writer. All this terrific stuff. And I went to Pitch Fest, and I I really wanted it to be a Pitch Fest success story. Um, but it, it, as it turns out, it was from a cold query letter that I got my agent, uh, and then she uh, found the publishing deal, and so. You know, I wanted it to be this great success story about all these extra things that I did, but as it turns out, it was a plain old, straight-up, old-fashioned query letter to my agent, Melissa Edwards at Stone Song. And uh, she liked the concept. She read the book. She offered representation. <clears throat> and then she, uh, she made a deal with Ocean View Publishing, uh, and they've been great. They've been great to work with. Um, you know, they've been with me every step of the way for – getting the book produced, um, all the, the, the editing, the cover design, all of those great things. Um, and then through all the marketing support, they've been terrific about, about just really helping me as a debut author have a really good first book, have a, have a good start. 
<clears throat> and uh, so that's, that's how we got to where we are today. And the book is fantastic. I love it. They did a great job with it. Um, and, yeah, wonderful. I'm just sorry you had to launch in the middle of all the um, weirdness going on. Oh, I know. I know. You know, but I talked to uh, my publicist at Ocean View today, and she said, we started as as the pandemic started to happen, we restarted rescheduling everybody's book launches, but yours relaxed because um, I've been working with uh, a couple of different publicists and, and started to get some traction, got some great, you know, blog opportunities. I wrote an article for national newspaper in Canada. um, And she said, you're so technical. You're so digitally aware. You're such a digital citizen. You're doing so much of, of your book launch is online is virtual um, except for, I think, two events that I had scheduled to do actual physical signings. I was, so I was 95% virtual anyway. And so Lisa at Oceanview said, you know what, if anybody can do this during the pandemic, it's true, um, because he's already doing all these virtual things. So as everybody's like freaking out about now we have to work from home and now we need a webcam and all these things, uh, I've been doing this for ages. So I was already really pretty well positioned for that. Now that's not to say that it's been – no impact. It's, it's not. It's hard. Um, the Amazon, like Amazon, for a while wasn't accepting any books. Um, they, they were just giving uh, Thomas and Mercer working towards. Uh, yeah, no, like Amazon, the retailer is just not oh. accepting physically any yeah. books in the warehouse. The oh, day gotcha, they've yeah. been working towards of taking over all retail arrived, <laughs> arrived all of a sudden. Um, and they weren't, yeah. and they just they just couldn't handle the capacity. So when people are desperate for food and toilet paper and and the essentials, um, they had to deprioritize some items going into the warehouse. And unfortunately, sure. books were one of those things. Yeah, you know, that's true. One um, of those things. You, you did mention the article for the Post. Could you give a little bit about what that was about? Because I found that fascinating. And the article was oh, sure. Oh, thanks. Uh, it was an article about the increase in cyber attacks during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so this is something that, that researchers in the United Kingdom, Canada, and the U.S. Um, all noticed or, or reported on that they saw a sharp increase in the number of cyber attacks as soon as the pandemic started. Now, some of it was the, the kind of attacks that already existed, but they became very much tailored to the pandemic. So, you know, instead of, hey, this is the IRS calling, and if you don't call me back, you're going to go to jail kind of thing, or click here for, for you know, to get this information from the IRS. Instead of the Wait, threatening, that's not real? scary... No. Oh. <laughs> oh, Did you shit. click on it? To, John, you didn't click on it. Um, hey, I clicked. So, I, I, yeah. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, these, these attacks that used to all be about these scary, threatening things all of a sudden became hey, for your government benefit, click here. To make sure your check reaches you, click here. So the, the hackers and the fraudsters started to take advantage of people's fear and anxiety to do with the pandemic to create that vulnerability that they needed to get you to click on whatever they sent you so that they can then either collect your information directly in a phishing attack, say, you know, just enter your banking information here and we'll send you your check. Uh, but instead of sending you a check, they just empty your bank account. Um, either that or they would say click here and it would install something on your computer that then lays dormant for some period of time until they activate it later. And if you happen to work for, you know, one of, one of the companies here uh, where I live is General Dynamics Land Systems, which is a defense contractor. If you happen to work for them, 
and you click on this link um, and it installs this program in the background, it could, in theory, um, gain access to the corporate network the next time you connect for work from home. And so what the researchers found was there were this sudden increase in attacks. Um, they found that some of it was fraudsters, but some of it is actually state-sponsored, that this is foreign intelligence agencies or people working for foreign intelligence agencies who are seeing this as an opportunity with all these people working from home with instead of their corporate hardened laptop, people are connecting to their corporate networks from, you know, the Best Buy Christmas special um, that they bought for, you know, $400 on, on Boxing Day, um, and there's less security there. And so they're seeing an opportunity to gain access to computer systems that they may not use right now, but they may use in the future. Okay, so can you explain something to me? Sure. In kind of layman's terms, just because I've, I've never really – I've just, everybody knows the story, but I don't know, like, how it was actually done. How was a company like Equifax breached? I mean, how is that, um, I mean, how is that possibly done? I mean, just, like, what kind of, in theory, you know, kind of way could that have actually been done? I don't know exactly what happened in the Equifax case, um, but there are a couple of different ways that an attacker can gain access to a company like Equifax. One is, is, is through phishing. You attack an individual that has logged in access to the network, um, and once you compromise their information, you can log but in. But that's the thing. I mean, How do you happened. even know who those people are? Oh, so it, 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 if you're just a rogue independent hacker, that's really hard to find out who these people are, unless, you know, like you could use LinkedIn to try and get, I mean, Jesus, I can't even are. find, like, the publicist for, like, Ann Rice or something. And then these people are, it's like, I work in the business. Right, but you're, <laughs> but in this case, you're talking about Chinese intelligence. You're talking about North Korean intelligence. Um, you're, you're talking about uh, they can find out who the people are through other means, and then once they have their target, they can go after them. I mean, it's just like, remember when all the, the I, iCloud accounts were hacked and all these celebrities had their nude photos, their private nude photos leaked a few years ago? Yeah. That's basically what happened. The hackers were able to figure out, like, if they know that to reset your password, I need to know your mother's maiden name. Well, that's not the hardest thing in the world to find out, to find out your mother's maiden name. So then they can reset the password, take over the account, grab what was inside, and by the time you find out that somebody did that, they're long gone. At least then. Now the iCloud has changed the way they do security authentication, they've added two-factor authentication. So, you know, there's a code that goes to your phone as well as your password when you try to reset right. it. Right. Um, so they've made it more difficult. <clears throat> but that was cases where uh, they were able to figure out the information that celebrities had used to create the account, and then they were able to take over the account. So that's one way. And then the other way to attack a company like Equifax is to, in a, a much more technical sense, um, when you know what the, where those servers are located, what their IP addresses are, what the domain names are, um, then you start looking for actual technical vulnerabilities. And if you find one, like an unpatched server, an unpatched router, um, a known security flaw inside um, a piece of network hardware um, or a PC itself, you find that flaw, you get inside that one computer that's connected to the network, and then you're in. And that's all code <laughs> that people that are, of course, experts know how to read. 
Yeah, absolutely. They they, yeah. they write they can write applications that just go out and look for vulnerabilities, and and sometimes they're they're running a code that just pings addresses, and there's all these known vulnerabilities for various pieces of network hardware. Like your home router could have a known vulnerability, and it, they they write programs that just ping all these IP addresses until they find one that has and a vulnerability, the, and then they and that's how they're getting they, like access to like these Nest cameras <clears throat> and stuff like that. Yeah, like people's ring cameras on their doors and things like that. Definitely, they're they're going through people's home routers. Yeah. Huh. So make sure you change the password, the default password on your home router. <laughs> yeah, and I know that people said, and one of my authors was writing a part about a tech thing in his book, and and I had to ask somebody who I was riding the train with when I was going to work, and that's all he does is IT. So I asked him some questions, and he showed me this thing. He goes, "Dude, he goes, he goes, I can sit right now and find IP addresses and find networks that I could just want to hack into." He goes, "Just give mm. me a Pringles can," and I go, "What?" He goes, "You haven't seen that." And there's an actual way to use a Pringles can to amplify so you can see signals from far away and zone in on it and then be able to get into it. Well, that, that is actually in my book, but it is in – I didn't use a Pringles can. I used a more sophisticated tool, but same But it's the same principle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, um, that's cool. That's cool. And, you but know, see, if, but you're in a public, yeah. if you're in a public Wi-Fi spot, like if you're waiting for the train because yeah. you're on the way to San Diego Comic-Con, and you're in the lounge and you're on the Wi-Fi, um, you can run Wi-Fi sniffers that just anybody that's not encrypted, um, you can just see what are, they, what, are they, what are they looking at. When I was in uh, doing my MBA in school, um, they did the management systems section of the program. So, you know, everybody kind of had their easy course that was a pass because that was their area of industry. So that was mine. Yeah. Um, and so when he was, the professor was showing the class how easy it is to see the images that people are looking at on their browsers, uh, I started doing Google searches of clowns and marijuana. Uh, so that on, on his screen, he's like, these are the images people are looking at right now. All of a sudden, these crazy clowns with dope kind of started coming up on the screen. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then you wonder why, and then people wonder why where we are. Hey, but you know what? Nothing wrong with clowns smoking dope. Nothing went wrong with that exactly. at all. No. <laughs> Maybe hey, it might make clowns a little less scary to people because a lot of people are scared I of would clowns. Think. You know, yeah, totally scary. You know, there was that thing, I mean, remember a couple of years ago? What if, what if, what if Cheech and Chong went to the circus? Think about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cheech and Chong goes to the circus? I mean, come on. Cheech and Chong That's under awesome. the big top or whatever? I mean, That's you awesome. can have fun with that one. Yep, the world's <laughs> biggest hot box. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. See, we can go all we can go all night long on that one. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, Drew, why don't you tell everybody where the best place is for them to uh, find out all the information? Is it just DrewMurrayBooks.com? That is it, DrewMurrayBooks.com. And if you want, you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Same thing. It's at DrewMurrayBooks.com. Awesome. And now, which uh, which social media site are you kind of more on than the others? Uh, I would say that the, the two that I'm most uh, active on are Twitter and Instagram. Okay. That's and that's probably everybody. I think, I think a lot of people say that. Yeah. yeah. I think Twitter and Instagram, yeah. All right, Drew, man, it has been a pleasure. Again, everybody, the book is called Broken Genius, and it is out whatever format you want to buy it. Go get it on Amazon. And, uh, Drew, again, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Man, the pleasure was mine. It was great to be here. Good, good, Thanks good. For great doing conversation. This.